We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast on Locker Room, though now it's called Spotify Green Room. There have been some changes, but it's the same show it's always been a live QA with everybody here. I'm going to give some people a few seconds to join. It looks like it's a different layout as well, so I'm not exactly exactly sure uh i would say where the people are coming in from but let's see if i can go ahead and shout this bad boy out on twitter as well so we can go ahead and get it there yes mike what is going on mike thank you for saving the room here (laughs) no problem uh i missed you guys a couple weeks in a row summertime down here in, in the south jersey shoreline so nice it's rough um, well, I, I'd like to be down in South Jersey Shore, right? Well, what's bad about that? <laughs> nothing, man, nothing. Um, I uh, got a chance to listen to you guys' podcast when you guys broke down the running backs. thought it was awesome. As always, you and Nick Filato do a wonderful job. Um, Thank you. But um, I, I, I wonder if, um, like, you guys were kind of opining, like, do they limit Saquon Barkley's third down role and – Corey Clement being that guy that could usurp uh, Booker, um, you know, maybe not the first four or five games, but probably like the next, you know, the later part of the season. Because I believe it was you, was it you or was it Dan that mentioned like he's really, really good in pass pro and um, better than Barkley. Like, I guess like he had almost four times as many reps as Barkley in pass pro and let up not that many sacks. Um, I'm just trying to remember back to the pod. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, uh, he's had more. It looks like we just lost you there. So request to speak again, Mike. It looks like uh, your connection lost or you jumped out for a minute. Um, but what Mike was saying is, yeah, Corey Clement has been excellent in pass protection, and that brings up the conundrum of what will the Giants do at the running back position on third down. On one hand, when you take Saquon Barkley off the field for any snaps, First down, second down, third down, goal line, red zone, whatever it may be, you're not putting your best players on the field. There's no one on this roster who's anywhere close to as effective as Saquon Barley, Barkley, I'm sorry, in a phone booth with the ball in his hands in space, creating yards after contact, creating yards before contact, and honestly running routes. So Clement is a pretty solid route runner, but 
I feel like Barkley's skill set gives him by far and away the highest ceiling as a route runner as well. So that's a conundrum. Do you take him off the field on third downs? Because in addition to him being the best player you could put on the field, Barkley, he's also the worst pass protector on this roster right now, most likely, with the exception of maybe Rykel Armstead, who we haven't seen do it. Corey Clement has proven a lot more, and the stats back it up. He's a much better pass protector than Barkley. Barkley had major issues in pass protection in 2019, and they cropped up again in that Steelers game as Nick was breaking down on the running back podcast. It didn't look like there was improvement there. It might be a mental issue. I don't think it's a physical issue or a desire issue, though. Ultimately, a lot of the time, pass protection is. But there seem to be a lot of miscommunications with him and Andrew Thomas, uh, specifically with pass blocking Bud Dupree in that Steelers game week one. And so it just remains to be seen. It just We don't know exactly if he can take that step forward without having you know played all of last season. So ultimately, it's the decision they're going to have to make. <coughs> Excuse me this season like do they want to take Barkley off the field and take by far and away one of their best players on the field at all times off the field or do they want to keep him on and go through the growing pains of him potentially giving up blown pass protections that lead to sacks and we'll have to see what happens there but Mike looks like you had to update the app but you're back so feel free to join back in if you had any other questions if anyone else wants to talk Giants as well just hit request to speak and I'll get you in Mike is jumping back in right now. What's going on, Mike? Hey, sorry about that. <laughs> it All good. Me off. Um, yeah. So I was just I was just saying about Corey Clement and Pass Pro. Um, if you had to put a projection on the wide receiver group, obviously um, Galladay, Shep, Slayton, uh, those three guys are locks. But do you think that they'll keep five or possibly six? And if so. Um, uh, Tony too as well. Sorry, I forgot TNT. He's he's probably a lock too. Um, like who do you who would you expect to round out that last body or last two bodies? Um, you know, on the team in that in that room. It's really interesting, Mike, because ultimately it might come down to special teams, but I'm not so sure because I still feel like even after drafting Kadarius Tony, and you'll see this on a few of his reps at Florida, where he catches a deep ball and he just doesn't have the deep speed to turn into a touchdown. Now that's fine. He turns it into, you know, a, a short, you know, a, a 60, 70 yard gain close to a touchdown, but there's times where he just doesn't turn it into a touchdown. And I still feel like John Ross actually has that seam splitting speed, that knife in the defense. And that doesn't mean you keep John Ross on the roster because you think he can become this amazing deep threat as a receiver. What it means is you think he can help your scheme. You think he can open things up. If you have him running vertical routes, it requires safety attention, and that opens up the middle of the field for players like Kenny Galladay and Evan Ingram, hopefully, or you know you expect potentially. That's kind of been what Andy Reid's been doing for a long time, and Sean Payton as well. Payton's been doing with lesser names like Devery Henderson to kind of open up the defense, and, and uh, Reid's been doing it with guys like Tyreek Hill who can actually get the ball sometimes on those vertical routes. But if you wonder why Travis Kelsey has been literally almost unguardable now for, I don't know, two years, two, three years. It's because he has Tyreek Hill on the roster. So I think Ross is going to make the roster. That would be my bet. He would be one of those back-end guys. And then other than that, it's, it's it becomes it comes down to what they think they can get from special teams from the rest of the roster. Because for me, I would give those spots to Ross and Pettis because I believe Pettis is just a good depth guy to have on there. He's already proven at the end of last season he can contribute as a receiver if needed. Not the best special teams player, but has returned punts in his past, especially at the uh, collegiate level. So uh, those would be my two guys that I would be looking toward. Okay, sounds good. 
Thanks, Dan. All right. Thanks for joining us, Mike. And it looks like we got another speaker request. It's John. What's up, John? How you doing, my friend? What's up? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, bro. How's it going? It's going pretty well. I have the, uh, <clears throat> an offensive line question. Sounds good. Where's that? By the way, where's that profile picture at? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, you ever heard of the Art Tech House in New York? I actually have not. Where is that? It's, uh, you know where that is? I'm sitting next to my girlfriend who went to it. Where's the Art Tech House? Manhattan. She said somewhere in Manhattan, I think. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's like a tech light show type of place. That's pretty cool. That I think tech they have awesome. A, thank you. I appreciate it. I think they have a better, like, bigger one in Washington. This one was just one room, but I mean, it was all right. Only like nice. 10 bucks. Yeah, sounds good to me. But uh, as far as the offensive line goes, so it's kind of dependent on a lot of people progressing. We don't really have any proven players. So let's say, let's just assume Andrew Thomas plays the same way he played at the end of last season. Uh, Nick Gates holds up the same way he held up last season. And Will Hernandez is just average. And then out of Pert and Lemieux, one of them takes a step forward to, let's say, become just an average offensive lineman. A lot of times, at least lately, I've been hearing people say your your worst lineman is like more important than your best. Like It's just more important to have uh, people that are good across the board than to have one dominant person. So do you think that one weak, weak link would potentially negate all the other progression that everybody else could take? If yeah, I that's ask a great that properly. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, you you have been hearing that a lot lately. That it's better to not have the elite guys. It's better to have no one on that line who's terrible. And I think at times the Giants were a decent example of that because for a large portion of that second half, Shane Lemieux was so bad in pass protection that it was it was derailing drives and it was hurting what they wanted to accomplish in pass protection. And it's not like the opposite was true, you know, for a team. Giants wouldn't be a good example. I was trying to think if there's any example, but no one really had 
any stretches of elite play on that line. Andrew Thomas played better in the second half. I would not say he was anywhere near elite. Nick Gates is a solid center. He was nowhere near elite at any point. And obviously, you know the deal with the rest of them. So you're right. I think that, you know, they need to... The goal here is to... And, and the good news is, at least the very least, there's going to be more continuity on this line, I think. With the exception of Will Hernandez moving to right guard, they're going to be returning most of the guys. I mean, you don't lose much by moving Fleming, moving on from Fleming to Parrott. And I would say, out of this entire roster, if you're looking for like that elite step forward, Parrott is the best guess by far, after Andrew Thomas, of course. But those are the two guys that can change the whole line, in my opinion. They do have that kind of upside, specifically uh, Thomas, in my mind, because I really like what I saw from him toward the end of the season. I don't, again, I don't think he was playing elite ball, but I feel like he was playing that next level. And I just think based on his pedigree and his work ethic and the fact that he was playing through an injury, there is still that, you can still tap into that with him. As far as Parrot goes, it's like, I wouldn't say you can, he has a lead upside for sure, but that's what the point, when you drafted a guy like Parrot, you're drafting a project player. You weren't drafting somebody who was six foot two, like Isaiah Wynn was when the Patriots drafted him. And they thought he could just kind of slide in there at left tackle, but they didn't really see a huge ceiling. The ceiling's there for Parrot. You can see it just based on the way he moves and his body type and the length that he has. But it's just a matter of how long is that going to take. Some people around the Giants feel like that could just snap their fingers and it's going to happen right away. But he didn't get many reps last season. He started as a project. So to me, I still see a huge kind of, I guess, variance with pair. I don't know if I'm answering your question. I feel like I'm talking a lot about the linemen, but I'm not exactly answering your question. What, John, what's, what's the specific question I can dive into? Uh, the, the question is, like, what's the likelihood? Like, what's oh. the likelihood that one guy's pitfall kind of just, you know what okay. I mean? makes yeah. everything else irrelevant. I mean, if I'm going to be honest with you, I know some Giants podcasts and Giants content people will tell you, will never say something like this. It's all roses all the time. I really don't know why because they've won no games in the last three years. Mm-hmm. But I'll be realist. I'll be a realist with you, John. It's a decent, there's a good chance it happens. I mean, Shane Lemieux was a fifth round pick. He, there, there's a lot of people who I've talked to who know offensive line play a lot better than me that say this isn't an issue of he could practice and he could learn to get better. This is an issue of lower body flexibility and lower body kind of lateral agility, and he may never be able to be a good pass protector. That's what I've heard from from people. And now maybe you say, okay, he struggles, you put in Zach Fulton. Well, Zach Fulton allowed 10 sacks last year. I know he was better the two years before that, but that's another risk. So I would say I'd probably put it at 35 to 40%, but – the reason it's even that low and not higher than that is not even my faith in somebody like Lemieux, because that would be the weak link, I think, if it were to happen, him or Pear. And because mm-hmm. to me, it's like, as far as Will Hernandez goes, you're going to get pretty average play regardless there. I feel like there's a, there's a high floor there, or a high-ish floor, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do still believe what I said on one of the recent podcasts. You can make up for offensive line play with really good coaching. Sean McVay has not had a good offensive line there for a really long time in Los Angeles with the Rams. I mean, there have been past two years I've been like, this offensive line is going to derail the Rams' offense. This offensive line. And yet with Jared Goff, who's a below-average quarterback or at best average, they've continued to be a solid offensive team. And their offensive line, really, with the exception of Whitworth, doesn't have that many great players on it. And I know we just talked about your weakest player, but there were a lot of guys going into last season you were like, this guy shouldn't be starting on any NFL roster, let alone on the Rams. And so I do think you can hide it with scheme and with really good coaching and coordinating and kind of take the onus off the offensive line. I don't think that's what the Giants ran last year. The Giants ran an offense that put a lot of onus on the offensive line, specifically in the run game. Um, so we'll just have to see if they have anything in store there, if they mix it up there and change things offensively. This offense could change dramatically. It should change dramatically with a player like Tony 
and a player like Galladay added to the mix. We'll see if they can do it. We'll see if Garrett has that in him, but that would be my, my best solution, I think, for kind of masking some of that offensive line play. Uh, and just one quick question stemming off that. Yeah, go for it. Uh, personally, I think it's more likely Daniel Jones takes a step forward than the offensive line does, even though obviously the two are connected. So, uh, like, during his, I guess, his elite years, and I'm not comparing Daniel Jones to Eli in any way, but he was uh, he was able to succeed without a good offensive line. What's, like, the minimum leap you think Daniel Jones would have to take to be able to perform well without the offensive line? You know yeah, what I mean? It's, being, it's a great question, John. And I think the, real, the crazy thing with Jones, it's such a different career trajectory than Eli because by this point with Eli – I guess, entering year three. He had already had that Denver game in 05, which was year mm-hmm. two, the game where he, you know, led an 80-yard comeback touchdown drive, one where he was about to get sacked, spun out, rolled out to his left like Russell Wilson and threw a ball on a comeback route. It was just pure arm talent. And then by the goal line, he's backing up 10 steps and rips a ball uh, on a crosser to Tumor for the touchdown. I mean, you knew it then. You haven't had that moment yet with Jones. Some people point to his first game ever against the Bucks. I don't think so. No one had seen him yet on film. Harder to game plan against. Some people point to that Washington game late in his rookie season. I don't really think so there either. That Washington defense, when you watch the All-22, was not really playing horrible. At, at a high level. They they kind of given up on their season. The season was way long over. And you could just sometimes tell with these NFL players where it's like the games that matter and the games that don't late in the season when a team's like 2-10. and 10. So I still think he needs that moment, but it's different because with Jones, there's been a lot of flashes. Like, Eli didn't even, besides that Broncos game in 05, Eli didn't have that many flashes in his first two seasons, at least not as many as Jones has had from just a pure talent standpoint. Big-time plays, big-time throws Jones has made, specifically slot verticals up the seam and what he's been able to do with his legs at times. So I agree with you. I think there's a good chance that Jones takes a step rather than the offensive line, and he can kind of negate the impact of the offensive line. But he's really got to put it all together, man. Like, Jones, for me, it's not an issue of talent in any way. It's just, it, it's all mental with Jones. He was a, he has slow eyes at Duke, and it seems to me like he's had really slow eyes so far in the NFL. Hopefully that changes. Hopefully that improves. That's not a guarantee, though. That's not, it's not like we're talking about lower body mechanics or footwork or arm mechanics. You know, it's it's something else, and it's got to it's gotta improve, but I I'm just not... Just, I'm just not sold just yet that it will improve, I guess. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, that's all. Thanks for joining, man. It was fun no talking. Problem. Appreciate it. Hopefully see you soon, man. Have a good one. You too. All right, Kenneth Miller's next on the list. What is going on, Kenneth Miller? How you doing, my friend? Hey, man. How you doing? What's up? Pretty good. I was going to ask about the Giants' defense, specifically at the end of the year. They were one of the better units in the NFL. And I know a lot of people haven't really been talking about the Giants' D. Do you think this could be a top 10 unit in the NFL, in the NFL next season? Oh, I, I'm big on the Giants' defense, Kenneth. I think that's a great question. I think if the Giants are going to be the 10, 11 team, 10 or 11 win team that I think they can be, I'm very optimistic about them this year. And, I, and as Nick has can attest to he's not here tonight but as nick has before and can attest to i'm not the most optimistic i guess and and i find that to be bullshit by the way just a quick aside i personally find that to be bullshit not not from nick but just from anyone who would say that because i consider it realism some people consider it pessimism whatever potatoes potatoes but the reason why i'm optimistic is because of that defense i think they can be very similar to what the browns were last season and the Browns kind of tailed off a bit on defense, but it's not the best example. But I think they can be a team that has a top 10 defense because my belief here, Kenneth, is that 
NFL defenses, the way they move, the way the game has moved with the rules and the changes that have been made, it is a lot more important to have pass coverage than it is to have pass rush. I think the ball's getting out in under two and a half seconds on almost every offense. Well, even the ones that attack vertically, they're getting rid of the football quick and they're, you know, using half field, high, low reads, get rid of the ball quick. And so it's really more important to have guys who can cover in man coverage for a long period of time. The Giants have added a lot of bodies to be able to do that just by drafting Aaron. Uh, I mean, uh, Aaron Robinson and Adoree Jackson signing Adoree Jackson alone. They've improved their secondary. Then you also consider them bringing in Xavier McKinney for a full season plus bringing back Peppers, Ryan, obviously James Bradbury and Darnay Holmes. It's one of the deepest secondaries in the NFL. And it's kind of just a bonus to me what they get out of Aziz Ojolari <laughs> and that pass rush, considering maybe Lorenzo Carter comes back and returns to himself, Ellerson Smith, players like that. So I think you're right. I think this defense steps forward, top 10 unit for sure this year for me. And I wouldn't be as confident if Patrick Graham wasn't the defensive coordinator. But the fact that he is just kind of locks it in for me. And I think it's going to be the lifeblood of this team. If, they, if they're winning a lot of football games, it will be because of the defense. Absolutely see it. I actually love y'all defensive coordinator. But I was also thinking about James Bradbury because last year really was his breakout season. A lot of people, I know people were talking about all pro, but still made a pro bowl, had a great year. Do you think he can be one of those lockdown corners that really the Giants have been missing since the, what was it, 11 and 5 season a couple of years ago? Yeah, in 2016. That was their last winning season. Yep. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's going to be interesting with Bradbury because. Everything we've seen this offseason has been, you know, a steady drumbeat toward the Giants using more man coverage in 2021. In 2020, they tried to use man coverage in week one. It was a disaster. They tried it a little more in week two. It was an equal disaster. And so they said, let's go away from this. We don't have the dogs to do it. We don't have a second corner who's able to do it. And let's play a lot of zone. And they played a little more man toward the end of the year. But the point is, Bradbury was really, really efficient in zone, but everything they've done this offseason suggests they want to play a lot more man coverage. It was even confirmed by Patrick Graham, their defensive coordinator, during the minicamp, where he's like, this is a league where you have to be able to play man coverage if you want to win consistently on the defensive side of the ball. And I do honestly believe that Bradbury is a much better corner in zone than he is in man. That doesn't mean he can't play man, but I think it fits his skill set better. So I'll be interested to see if they play some kind of hybrid defense where Bradbury's still playing little bit more of a zone role it's just something I'm, I'll, I'll be tracking i guess during training camp and then into the season but there's no reason for me to not believe that he can be just as good now that you know he's gonna he's gonna have a better player on the opposite side of him and adoree jackson than he had a much better player he's gonna have more he- health at the safety and better talent with mckinney returning and potentially better pa- it should be better pass rushers with azizo jalari ellerson smith even if lorenzo carter doesn't come back i mean by the end of the season, the Giants were trotting out like Carter Coughlin and David Mayo off the edge. So it can't get much worse than that from a pass rush standpoint off the edge. So, yeah, I think this is the season where he finally gets the recognition for how good of a player he is. And at least the last question I have, and I apologize if the person beforehand said this, but, like, what role do you think Saquon needs to have, assuming health, of course, what role does Saquon need to have to make sure the Giants' offense is at least average as a unit? Yeah, I mean, if you ask me, I, I just don't think Saquon's the biggest factor in getting them league average. You're talking about as an offense, correct? Yes. Yeah, I just don't think Saquon's the, the guy to do that. I mean, they were 31st in offense last year. They should have been 32nd. 
The only reason they were 31st is because Adam Gase was still in the NFL coaching and offense. Otherwise, they would have been the dead last worst offense in the NFL. Some of their metrics, advanced metrics, are just putrid. And a lot of that was coaching. If you look at the, what we do here on the Big Blue Banner podcast, we break down the All-22 film every week, spend hours doing it, and then we do a podcast on it. And a lot of the passing concepts that Jason Garrett used were just not being used by the best offenses in the NFL. They were breaking back toward the quarterback. They were a lot of spacing routes with four curls to the sticks. And he wasn't really stacking receivers and using motion, pre-snap motion. So to me, the bigger fact, there's three main factors to get this Giants uh, offense to league average or better. One, Jason Garrett has to coach a much better offense. And that's the number one thing for me. Two, Daniel Jones has to be a lot better. He just has to be a lot better. There's a lot of Giants fans who think he's been good or okay so far. It's not the reality. In our Giants bubble, it seems like he's been okay. And again, he's had flashes of talent. But if you look at it, he's not producing many yards through the air as, as a thrower. And he's not cashing in in the red zone. And that's really what matters as a quarterback. And the third main factor is the offensive line. But I think the first two are the coaching and the quarterback. So Saquon will help for sure. But I, I just I, I'm not so sure he's a main factor in that. All right, I gotta, that's all the questions I got. So you can talk to someone else if you want. Thank you. Yo, thanks for joining, Kenneth. That was awesome. I really appreciate it. Oh, look who we got next. Nick Filato with a special guest appearance. Yo, what's up, man? You got me on here? How you doing? Dude, I'm chilling. Are you guys been talking about sour cream or anything like that? No, there's been no food talk. Disappoint. I really want to dive into a lot of my food takes, but no one really cares about my food takes, I've learned. I've tried to like hint that I want to talk food. And nobody, nobody ever brings it up. Nobody ever cares. All I want to do is talk about my correct food takes, and I never get the opportunity to, unfortunately. You know what? That is really unfortunate, man, because I want to hear about your food takes. It's not like I ever hear about them any other time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, and that's, it's the only way for you to kind of enjoy those types of food, you know, because we know you're not going to eat them and consume them. So nah, at least if you why would I do that? Why would I enjoy it? life? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I just wanted to pop on and say hello. All right. Good to see you, man. I'll talk yeah. to you later, bro. Hold it down, brother. Take care. Will do. All right. Last, another speaker. We got Notorious V.I.G. in the mix. What's going on, my friend? Are you there, Notorious V.I.G.I.G.? My friend, are you there? I am there. Oh, what's going on? Am I the only one that goes completely blank when it's my turn? I... I gotta get a new phone. There is some technical difficulties on your end, period. <laughs> it's definitely all right. So, uh, so post June one cuts, where are they? There, yes, I mean, there's, that's a good there's nothing out there. There has been nothing out there. That's actually an excellent question. Why haven't we seen that this off season? That is interesting. Um, they might, they might be happen later and be reported i i don't know these i don't know these details enough i should know them but i don't and i'm no longer working on the nfl side at cbs so i don't feel as bad not knowing them but i think you can cut a player and then report it as a post june one cut so i still think that's in play but i'm not positive on that so don't quote me on that okay. uh, so we might hear about them later well you were always on on top of all the kind of salary cap stuff for, you know, i mean was there was there anyone on your sort of wish list if they if they came off uh as uh you know these post June one cuts so for me it's like the roster's insanely deep at a lot of positions with the exception at this point of offensive line and that's Mm -hmm. really 
not not even at tackle because they've kind of made their bed there. They're going to have Solder as that swing tackle, and they're paying him enough to the point where there's no one that makes sense to bring in. And so you look at guard, that would be the position where you look for a post one cut. But I just don't think they're moving in that direction because anyone you sign, like a veteran like that, he would he would he's not going to sign a deal unless he's kind of guaranteed he's going to get first crack at that starter spot. And that's not what the Giants can offer right now. At least in their mind, they're not offering that. They're giving those cracks to Will Hernandez and to Shane Lemieux. And they already signed Zach Fulton to the roster. So he would then have to go or he would have to get moved on from. So or, you know, maybe Hernandez potentially, but I don't see that happening. So it just seems like it's not in the mix this year. It, normally, I think you'd see it more at like They've done it a lot in the past in the secondary, safety and corner, but those positions are so loaded now depth-wise. It's, I don't see it happening there either. So I, it, the only position I see it potentially happening at is guard, and I just I don't know what they can offer a veteran right now since that, it looks like they really want to move forward with, um, with Hernandez and Lemieux. Yeah, I don't know. I think we could use another safety. I, I mean, where's he gonna, who's going gonna, to who's gonna move off the roster? Love, you would move on from I'm Love. kidding. Oh. Okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Good stuff, man. Awesome. Good to hear from you, Rob. Ciao. All righty. That is all the speakers we have for today and all the time we have for today. Thank you to everyone joining. This was a fun locker room. I will see you next week, normal time, Tuesday. Have a good night and talk to you guys later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.